you guys would stand one last time for the reading of the word. We do this, there's something powerful about giving reverence uh, to this text, this text that um, if you struggle to trust it as authority in your own life, in some sort of religious sense, there's something about at least acknowledging the fact that this book has been used for centuries and centuries for those that have taken it seriously to love, to create communities of freedom and heaven, to make sense of their walk with God with all of their doubts and joys and failures. So let's read this familiar story. Luke 10, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Whew. Solid sneeze this morning. How are we doing with the humidity? I realize every time I actually say something out loud about it, it draws attention to it. A few quick updates just before I begin. Um, some really phenomenal just feedback already on the service. This was um, from... Uh, Brad Rohr thinks he's funny.com. Uh, this is your shirt today is a metaphor for the story of man. The white sleeve represents purity. The black sleeve represents evil. The gray torso represents the struggle we all go through. Beautiful. Well done, Brad. Well done. It's good to know people are already taking notes, seeing the metaphor, the layers and work that we put into this service are unmatched. It just means a lot when people begin to pay attention to it. Uh, as the trailer sort of showed us a little bit, um, we're doing this series called Path. How do we as individuals and as a community live and move? How do we, uh, what does it mean to walk the Jesus path? I have a lot of hopes for, for teaching series. And uh, this one in particular, because there's something that I think um, I'm hoping will happen in the hearts of those who are here and who are followers of Jesus, that your passion, not just for walking closer with God, will grow, that a culture of pursuit will stir in your heart, that um, you'll begin um, to move or just continue to move closer to regular rhythms in your life that help you channel the beauty and awe and mystery and majesty of God into the very daily things of what it means to live life. That you're, it won't be, and this is so often how we can treat our walk with, with God or Jesus or even any sort of religiosity, it's my life plus this thing that kind of gives some goodies and helps inform my life. It's like everything plus vague moral system that I have, everything plus this religious system, everything plus these four noble truths, everything plus Jesus. 
And Jesus actually does not anywhere invite us into that sort of relationship, lifestyle. It's everything through the lens of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, this is what we, we believe to be true. So for those that are here and that are followers of Jesus, that's our hope. Is it something over the next couple of weeks as we talk about the upward path, the inward path, the outward path, and the path together? I think we need to have hand motions. We can, no, great. That was pretty good though, right? Well, like a YMCA thing? Upward, inward, outward, together. It's like, or the up T squeeze, elementary backstroke. You know what I'm talking about? Swimming lessons, anyone? No, no one knows how to swim here. Good to know. Uh, anyway, these directions are the way we move as a community. These are the paths we walk down. They're helpful things that, that may help us make sense of what it means to do life. We journey upward, not because we know that God's not actually up, but this has been the symbology that's been used for centuries of like towards the divine. We journey toward God. Everything begins moving upward. And we recognize in the Christian faith that, that God, the creator of all, where all beauty and goodness and truth gets its origin, who has created all things, the low hum underneath everything that's given us life. We're told that, that has made himself known to us and is reconciling us making us the inward journey, making us clean, pure, good, taking care of the issues in our own heart, reconciling us back to him, and then is inviting us to journey outward. We're told loving God and loving neighbor are intrinsically linked, and we move outward, and we do this all together. So we're gonna talk about these four movements, Um, and so today we're gonna talk about the upward path, Uh, and I thought... Uh, a good way. Oh, sorry, I didn't finish my long little thing here. The, for those who are new, my, my hope is that you get a taste of the Jesus path. That you encounter God made known in Jesus. Our culture actually talks a lot about paths. Like, oh, that's, it's, the, it's the X path, the Y path. This is the path I take. This is how. Everybody has a path they're on. Not everyone's aware that they're walking one. Everyone is either being more intentional or less intentional, or if you're like me, it's a cocktail of intentionality of I'm, I want to live this way. I I value these things. This is how I make sense of the world. This is how I make sense of freedom. This is how I make sense of what's in my heart. This is how I make sense of the world around me. We're all walking paths. And there's this really, in in my understanding of scripture, this revolutionary one, which is the path of Jesus. So this story that we read, maybe some of you have heard before, Mary and Martha, I actually wanted to begin before I dive into that text, and we're going to spend all our time just in that text. We're going to spend looking at what is the dynamic between Mary and Martha, and I just encourage you, if you've heard this story again, to try to kind of wipe maybe the slate clean a little bit so we can take a fresh look at it. But to talk about the upward path, I first have to talk about the ocean, I have to talk about how in uh, Narragansett on the seawall, if you count eight, ben- you used to be able to do this before the last hurricane, Sandy. You take, count eight benches from the beach and you would see a plaque stuck to the back of that bench. Now on the back of that bench up until a few years ago was this plaque that 
had been painted around many, many times. It had been viewed as whoever the state town officials are as, oh, that plaque must have been there because it looks like an official plaque. But when you look at all the benches, all the plaques are actually on the front. This plaque is on the back and it doesn't look like the front ones. And it says, Andrew and Danielle. And it has a date. I don't remember what the date is. Yeah, I was a really good boyfriend. That was our bench. She's my high school sweetheart. That was our bench. And we would go there and we would just sit and we would talk. We would look out at the ocean and talk. When I first started dating uh, her, she was not a follower of, of Jesus. And I began to tell her and try to make sense of like who God was to me. And it was funny that we would sit here and have these discussions that sometimes would slip into spirituality. And what I realized is that one of the most like uh, physical, tactile, visual things that helped me understand the nature of a God that is, it says in the scriptures is in all and through all was the ocean. Whether Danielle was there with me or not, I would sit and look out at the seawall I don't know if you've ever had a moment like this. We're sitting there and putting my feet up, like this, the bench is here, and putting my feet up on the wall, and I would just look out at the water and then kind of look up to the horizon line and then look up to the sky. I remember this moment where there was a storm rolling in. Maybe some of you have had a moment like this, where all of a sudden, you are not quite sure why that one lone tear has formed in the corner of your eye. You know what I'm talking about? Like all of a sudden the world gets huge. All of a sudden you feel this weight of, I am rather small. Anyone had a moment where they feel incredibly small and you weren't, you were kind of like, like fear was in there, but it was like in there just a little bit, right? It was like in there just enough to get your attention. And then all of a sudden, there's this wave of, it's that existential freedom that we often feel in worship when we realize that we are not the ones governing the universe. It's the freedom that comes with the world doesn't revolve around me. It's the weight of, oh my, look at that storm roll in. A friend of mine tells a story of being out in the water about a mile out with his wife on paddle boards. And they're talking and having just fun conversations like in the middle of the day. And then all of a sudden, a whale. So I'm my friend. He says he's about 15 feet away or so. Or maybe, no, sorry, less than that. 10 feet away is his wife. And all of a sudden, a whale emerges on one side of his wife's paddle board. Like a whale whale. Not like sea lion whale whale. Like whale. <laughs> and then dips down underneath their paddleboard and comes back up. And they're both looking at each other like, oh, what do we do, 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 what do we do? And then it came to his and it dipped down underneath again. He said in between, like something out of a bad movie, the blow, he the blew air out of the blowhole, said it was the loudest thing as far out in the water as they were, everything was really quiet and serene. 
And there's this moment of, oh my gosh, that's a whale. There's a whale. There's a giant whale coming out. Cool, whale. This was not a Zen moment at first. I dipped underneath, came up in between. You hear, which apparently it's like unbelievably loud. That was a pretty good blowhole impression, right? (laughs) Practice that in front of the mirror. I'm kidding. And then the whale went back down underneath his and then came back up the other side. And he describes the story like, we just started to cry. We didn't exchange any words. When you come up against something so big, something that you have no control over, something that reminds you that you are like small in this world, something that could take your life, but then you encounter something that's actually good. The story would be a bit different if it was a great white shark. When you encounter something that's good, he just said we started to cry. When you realize these moments of awe and wonder and beauty that shake you and you, you can't help like your brain, these are rational, enlightened 21st century people that all of a sudden have moments of the divine, of the other, of magic, of there is something else at play in the world here. There's something that transcends the data of what's taking place right now. You ever had a moment like that where you're like, you realize how big and mighty and beautiful the world is, but maybe the personality behind the world is. I begin with that because when Mary sits down at the rabbi's feet in this story, I think, I want to speculate for a moment, but I think she has some insight into the hum, the personality, the love, the logic below everything else that her upward journey to God is taking place in this moment where she finds herself stirred in a way that she can't help but go and sit at his feet. Let's talk about this text if you have your Bibles open. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they traveled a lot. They're going from town to town. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. Let's stop there. In ancient, not even that ancient, this would still happen up until very recent and still happens in some Orthodox Jewish settings, to sit at a rabbi's feet is not something, not something that is for like the masses. He's traveling with his disciples, with the few folks that he selected who he believes can be like him. Come and sit with me. And so they're learning together. To come and sit at the feet of Jesus is to come and sit at the feet of the teacher. To be a privileged student to come. At this day and age, a woman coming to sit at the feet of Jesus was not an okay thing, was not an acceptable thing. We don't know if there was like, people knew that women could come and sit at Jesus' feet. This was like a thing that was out there. 
or there's some boldness that Mary has. But she just seems to go for it. And she pushes through so many cultural walls to actually be there. The text goes on. She had a sister called Mary who sat, I'm sorry, the letter's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, I don't know how many of you have heard this story, but oftentimes Martha is immediately posed as the bad guy. Now, to be fair, she is the one being criticized by Jesus. But I think we get the bad guy thing in the wrong direction. Like Martha's doing what she's supposed to be doing. Like this is what's culturally acceptable to do. She's taking care of the house. The disciples come in. They come, they're able to sit. They're gonna learn and sit at the feet of Jesus. The men are gonna learn the Torah. Women are gonna get the house ready. This is part of their portion. This is part of like what they're called to be doing. Getting everything ready, setting everything up, making a hospitable atmosphere, making sure Jesus is cared for. This is the way you honor in this culture. So before we go, oh yeah, Martha's just so distracted. I mean, Jesus right there. It's like, I don't know. How many of you tend to identify with Martha in this story? Yeah. There's a lot of people, I think, who they're like, why wouldn't that be your tendency? Someone's come over. I gotta get the house ready. We gotta make sure these, these guests who are wonderful new people are taken care of. And that's not what Mary does. And so if Mary and Martha were there to get the house ready and your friend just, ever had a friend just ditch on you? It's like, this is what's going on. Hey, we're trying to get the house ready and they're like in talking to people. This happens in marriages, I think, a lot. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Relationships. Like you're in a relationship with someone and you're like, cool, we got this plan going and we're like getting the house ready, okay. And there's always one person in the relationship who's doing this. This is my teeth gritting for those who can't see me in the back. It's like, come on, come on, come into the kitchen. Come into the kitchen. You don't wanna like be embarrassing but everyone knows that you're ticked off. That's how I like to imagine like what's going on with Martha. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had been made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care? Like she's not following protocol. She's not doing what she's supposed to be doing. She's left me to do all the work. She's being selfish. That's what Martha's saying. You're being selfish. And Jesus, call her out. Her expectation is that Jesus will see things just like she does. That is her expectation, which is a reasonable expectation. This is totally okay. Martha is not out of the blocks here, the bad guy. Lord, don't you care? Oh, my sister's left me to do all the work. Tell her to help me. That verse preaches a different sermon, but it's worth just stopping for a minute. Like, tell her to help me. Martha commands Jesus commands, this is how things go, Jesus. Tell her to get with the program. I think there's a lot there. Martha, Martha, 
The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. So this word better, this is kind of where we're gonna park for a minute. It's actually, um, it's a translation that is easy. It helps like the flow of the, of the passage. But actually what's being said here is more likely the word is halek and a better word is portion or share, or lot. It's like it refers to an inheritance. And a good portion, this phrase that Jesus uses here, is specifically used in one setting, which is Jewish circles around the goodness of the study of the Torah. For those of you new to the scriptures, Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It was called the way, the truth, and the life. The Torah was where you understood what it was to walk with God as a good Jewish person. This is how you understood your story. You understood what it was to doubt. You understood what the law looked like. You understood what it meant to live according to God's design. It was an act of grace. They spoke of Torah as grace. It was a gift given, freely given to the people of Israel to walk out their inheritance as sons and daughters. Studying Torah was a big deal. Men would come and sit at a disciple's feet. And what Jesus says about Mary, who breaks in and sits at Jesus' feet, is she has chosen a better portion. She has chosen what is better. It's not just abstractly what's better. It's a better portion. What's happening here is he's saying, she has come to get hers. She apparently knows where the life is. Next slide. There's these two, um, next slide, there's these two excerpts from some ancient Jewish writings that talk about this phrase portion. This would have been one prayer that was prayed after studying scripture. I thank thee, Lord my God, God of my fathers, that you set my portion with those who sit in the study hall and the synagogues, and you did not set my portion with those who sit in the theaters and the circuses. Sounds like funny, a little archaic. Here, go back to that for a second. A prayer that you would praise is I, man, thank you that my day, today my portion was spent learning the way of God being influenced by the life and love of the world, not being influenced by other things. It was a prayer that you would pray. This is what's being connected with this passage. She's chosen a better portion. This is Torah language. Jesus is saying, hey, 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 Martha, Mary has chosen, not just like what's better abstractly, she's come for her understanding, for her grasp, for her take, for her portion of the life and love of God, which is the study of Torah. Next slide. Here's another example of how portions talked about in rabbinical writings. Turn it over and over because everything is in it, speaking of Torah, and reflect upon it and grow old and worn in it and do not leave it for you have no better portion than this. You have no better portion than the way, the truth, and the life, which is Torah, than the good gift that God's given his people, which is Torah and the study of it. If you're not here in a follower of Jesus or even remotely religious, just imagine there's like one thing. It's like the greatest set of TED Talks ever. I don't know. Like there's one thing, it's like that. 
If I can sit at the feet of that understanding of the world and learn and grow, it will affect everything else in my life. The way, the truth, the life. Anyone familiar with these three terms, the way, the truth, the life? These are given to who? Say it with me now, Sunday school answer. Jesus. John calls Jesus the way, the truth, and the life. We're told in the gospels that the fullness of the Torah, of the Old Testament, of the first scriptures given to the people, the fullness of them are found in Jesus. Jesus, he came at the culmination of the ages and he's showing us what Torah looks like lived out. God sends Jesus to live out Torah in flesh and blood. Martha isn't doing something wrong keeping up with the cultural expectations. Martha is not IDing the fact that the way, the truth, and the life is present in her home. That there is something better than following the passive path of the cultural expectation around her. Martha is not IDing the thin place that exists in that home. Martha is not awake and aware of the upward path to be traveled to sit and get hers. To sit and to get hers. To be open. Mary. I like to think that Mary had no idea whether it was okay for her to sit at Jesus' feet. I like to think in that moment she is like bucking every cultural norm. We don't know. We don't know if like Jesus had a reputation or not of like allowing women to come and sit. Either way, it does not change the radical nature of what's happening. Mary Jesus is breaking a dividing line and saying, come all who are weary, all who need bread, all who are hungry for the things of God, all who want to come and sit and learn. And so Mary comes and she sits at Jesus' feet. She breaks through whatever expectations are there for her to not do that. The value that she has, she values the possession of Jesus, of learning from Jesus, of learning the things of God. And it's seen in the intensity of her pursuit. It's seen in the intensity of her pursuit. Like she wants it. The value of any possession is seen in the intensity of the pursuit. If you want it, you go after it and get it. Unless you really struggle with sloth big time. There's a lot of young folks in their first two like quarters of life in this room who are going after what they want. Mary is going after what she wants. The value of the possession is seen in the intensity of the pursuit. You know how bad you really want it. And for her, it's like, what else is there to truly want more than anything else is to know and to live, to be with and Jesus.
the value of the possession is seen in the intensity of the pursuit. This is Mary's whale moment. I like to think this is her moment of like, as she's going to get, Jesus says, she got her portion. She was able to come and sit at the feet of Jesus and take hold of the good thing, of the portion that was hers, of the blessing that Jesus had for her in that moment. This is a moment where she is pursuing the upward path. Uh, At the Love Providence event that we did a few weeks back, um, I had a conversation. We were giving out free haircuts. Uh, so this is an event we did. We gave out backpacks and school supplies. And one of the hairdressers uh, that was there, I had a conversation with them the next day. And they said they woke up that day feeling so overwhelmingly good. They woke up. They woke up. They're not followers of Jesus. They woke up and feeling like, oh, that was like, I don't even know what that was. I woke up having just taken two and a half hours of my time cutting some kid's hair who couldn't afford a back-to-school haircut. Two and a half hours in the evening. She said there were a bunch of other things, like all of us, that she could have been doing. There were other things out there to get. There were cultural expectations. There were expectations from her significant other of where they were supposed to go. And I, got a, I almost thought about this after the fact. I'm looking at this passage. It'd be like me then saying, like, you chose the better portion, didn't you? Just the simple act of two and a half hours of giving of yourself to someone else caused her and whatever else is going on in her life to wake up in a way that she had not woken up in a long time. Joy filling her heart. It's like a nice little story and a little picture for us of Mary saying, I want the better thing. I want to be where the life is. And it could have been Martha, it could have been her boyfriend, it could have been some cultural expectation manifest as Martha just saying to her, hey, you you really don't have time to go do that thing. I know that's really nice and you can help out and that's great and that'll be good, but there's some stuff over here you really need to do and this is the stuff you need to do. This was not part of her plan or her schedule. Actually, she's chosen the better portion. She's chosen the better thing and it will not be taken from her. There's something that happens when we forsake all else for the sake of the better thing. We don't do it because a preacher spends, takes 35 minutes of your like valuable time telling you, hey guys, pursue God more. Take the upward path. Trust me, it's worth it. I'll give some anecdotes and a funny story. It'll be great. Then we'll serve pizza after. You'll feel really convicted. Right? That's not going to be the thing likely that's going to move you. Some of you are like, yes, that would work. Yes, that's why I'm here. No, for, for a lot of us, right, we actually need to encounter. It's not until we encounter the possession. It's not until we under, encounter and understand and actually open ourselves up to the reality of who God is. And so this is why we take steps in our community to open ourselves up. It's why we do what we do on a Sunday morning. It's why we develop spiritual disciplines. It's why we gather in small groups and communities is to open ourselves up to the love and logic and beauty behind everything because when you encounter the possession, something changes. Anyone ever seen the uh, season finale of The Office? Anyone big Office fans in here? Yeah? So the season finale of The Office, there's this scene, I wanna show you a clip of it. Jim and Pam are this couple that over nine seasons 
Well, the first three, it's just like torturous, right? They're like courting each other in the office or he, Jim's just really courting Pam and it's not really working out. Finally, they like, oh my gosh, we love each other. And so there's this place where towards the end of this, end of the, the series, uh, Pam is having a moment of like, you know, doubting not Jim's love for her, but just sort of having a moment of like, am I really enough for you? Because Jim has made this really big sacrifice to not take a job and stay with her. Like, like keep their family in, uh, in Scranton, Pennsylvania. You following me so far? Jim has this opportunity to do something, this dream job, sacrifices it for Pam and the family and stays home. Ooh. And Pam, um, there's some water. And Pam uh, feels uh, awful. She feels awful about this. And she goes to Jim and says, Jim, like, do you, like, am I, I can't believe I would be really worth it to you to do this. She's having that moment, right, where you wonder, like, am I really worth this sacrifice? So that's one part of the story you need to remember is the long setup for a clip. Stay with me. Then there's Dwight. Everyone know Dwight? <laughs> Dwight is having his own moment that's parallel to Jim, and he's wondering, maybe I'm not supposed to ask his current girlfriend to marry him, but he's supposed to actually be with Angela, who's sort of been his long time, long lost, on again, off again girlfriend. Let's watch. There's something about his story, about Jim's little... Sp- <laughs> I can't preach with this behind me, guys. <laughs> Something about Jim's little speech, right, that pricks all of us. For Mary, for Mary, there's this sense of, I know, I know where I need to be. Any fear of cultural expectation any dividing walls that exist. For Mary, her particular set of things that would keep her from sitting at the rabbi's feet, of getting her portion, of sitting and learning and knowing and growing in the things of God, there was nothing that was going to get in the way of that. This passage is not about contemplative spirituality. This passage is about pursuit. It's about the breaking down of walls that Jesus did to say, hey, look at who God is. It says in Colossians 1.19 that the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. We as followers of Jesus have this claim that all that God is made known in the person of Jesus. Everything, every iota of who God is is found in Jesus. That if you want to know what God is like, you can fully in every way that is important and revealed to us, and that is in the person of Jesus. It's an audacious claim. It's a bold claim. And it's a claim that says at the center of the universe is the God that's willing to lay down its life for us. A God that loves its creation so much that it would send himself to us. It's a claim. It's a claim that says, this God 
before anything else is a God of love whose wrath and justice and mercy and patience all flow from its love of us. And that claim is so different at its core than any other claim out there. I love Jim's speech. I had no intention of putting that in his teaching, but I loved it. When I watched that episode the other day, I was like, that's it. He's giving this speech to Jim. He's like, you gotta let go of every fear, everything to know, like how could I desire anything less than to know what is true about who I am? Why were you created? Why are you here? Why are you the mix of things that you are? And what does it mean to live in service to the thing that is most beautiful and most true and most loving? What if it's out there? What if it's known? What if it's to pursuing you? What if it is a way, like, like, what if it wants to pull you in to the path of love, to join God in the renewal of the world? What if? And so for some of us, the what if this morning is where we need to land this teaching before we come to the communion table. What if? The invitation of Mary, I'm going to forsake all else. The upward path, the upward path is about cultivating a culture of pursuit. Taking the upward path is valuing the possession and seeing internally in our hearts that we want nothing more than God. The upward path is about waking up to thin places everywhere. What I mean by thin places is that moment at the ocean. It's the moment in the water. It's the moment with the whale. It's waking up to the fact that God is all around us. It is not we, it is not God who is distant, but it is us. The upward path is about taking the headphones off and paying attention. The upward path is about trusting that God is good and in him our portion lies. That's the upward path. Trusting that in him our portion lies. In him our portion lies. Mary's chosen the good portion. Mary knows where the life is. Mary came to get hers. Mary knows where the portion is. It's about trusting then that we can rest and be still and let the insignificant slide so that the significant can find its proper place. We can let that which does not truly matter slide and let the significant take place. That's what the upward path is. This is how we articulate it. We believe that having a deep and connected relationship with God is the best possible way to live. We celebrate the divine and the daily, pursuing lives of hope and gratitude and worship. We believe worship is the submission of our nature to God. It's the quickening of the conscience by his holiness. It's the nourishment of mind with his truth. It's the purifying of imagination by his beauty. The opening of the heart to his love. It is the surrender of will to his purpose. All of this gathered up in adoration. The most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. 
the whale. It's the awe and wonder and beauty. The story teaches us or reminds us that we go after what we love, that you are what you love. Like, let's be honest, you are what you love at the end of the day. It's what will form you at the end of the day, what you love. It will shape you. It will change you. It will wake you up. It will prick you in the middle of the night. It will challenge you. It will give you rest. It will give you peace. So if I'm sitting where you are, as I've had to prepare this talk, as I've had to be thinking about these things, it has caused me to ID places where it's like, man, God, I don't love you the way I loved you. I don't want it the way I want it. God is not opposed to effort. He is only opposed to earning. God loves you right where you're at in all of your doubts and all of your confusion and all of the ways you're not sure what you want and all of your sin and all of your distraction. In fact, it's that kind of God and IDing that reality that makes me want to pursue even more to know more and more the heart of the Father. One way we know that is we come to this table welcome up the servers. We come to the table and we take the bread and we dip it in the cup. That's one little small way every single week we remind ourselves. We remind ourselves. We remind ourselves of who this God is. We remind ourselves of where the love, where the life, where the portion is. Something about taking the bread, Christ's body broken, dipping it in the cup, his blood poured out. This act of forgiveness and love and mercy that leads to new life reorients my heart for the weak. What are the things in your life that need to slide because they don't really matter? What are the things that have a hold on you that shouldn't? What is the path that you're taking that is actually leading you away from the source of life? I pray as we come to the table that we wake up to some of those realities. I pray that God implants them into your heart. And man, I just wanna ask, I don't like getting weird about this stuff, but I just love it. I mean, like we're here, we're at church. Like if anyone wants to like follow this Jesus, to begin the upward path. Like, you just, you wanna do it? Like, meet me over here and I'll, we'll start. Sound good? Like, anyone here wanna be a follower of Jesus? Anyone here have this sense and you're like, I, I, I want all the things you're saying, I'm just not sure Jesus is where that is. Wouldn't it be worth trying? This is not a sales pitch for joining a church. This is not a sales pitch for joining a religion. This is a, I've discovered as like Andrew, some things that have changed everything about how I see the world. And it's changed thousands and millions of other people. And when it's been faithful and good and true, I've seen it rock the world in ways that we don't have time to even get into and talk about. I could talk for days and years and months about. I've seen it rescue people. I've seen God heal people physically. 
I've seen people be spoken to in amazing ways. I've seen people sacrifice all the riches that they had. I've seen someone leave Wall Street and go to the mission field. I've seen people leave the work that they were doing and go to a place of like deep, like broken work and actually live out the life of Jesus. The people you're sitting next to, many of you have seen them do that. They've seen others. They have stories of the work of God in their life, of people going before anything else. I journey upward to God. Before anything else, the lens I see everything through is the upward path. Let's pray. Wake us to your awe, to your wonder, to your beauty. We want to be in awe of you. God, I am so thankful that you've made yourself known to us. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful and so grateful for the gift Lord, that you have given. I pray for those people specifically, Lord, who need to take the bold step to say yes. Yes, I want, I trust. That Jesus is Lord. That it is in him where my portion lies. fill them with a sense of just strength to come forward and to name that and to begin that path today. God, I pray for so many others who are here this morning. Beginning a new year, I think of all the students. There are so many other things that are going to press on them. I am not jealous of the pressures that are coming at them to have their priorities be all out of whack. So I pray What sits above the pursuit of grades is you. God, I pray that what sits above the pursuit of a relationship sits you. I pray that what sits above the pursuit of of earning mom and dad's favor sits you. I pray what sits above, Lord, what rises above the passive acceptance of the paths that are thrown at them from every direction chooses the the pursuit of you. Lord, may we throw off everything that binds us. May we throw off every way we feel chained. May we take hold of the blank slate that is offered at the communion table, the fresh start, the new beginning, and boldly step out, Lord, into the the life, Lord, life with you, abundant life the life of heaven. Where would your spirit fall in this place? Stir us, Lord, in a new way. Please. We are fickle and hard-hearted. 
Restore to us the joy of our salvation. I pray for those in the room right now that need their joy restored. The joy of that moment where they first sang amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That moment, the joy of walking with you. I pray that this is not a moment of guilt or condemnation, but of love and freedom to step out again out of the boat and onto the water. Stir in us, we pray. In your name, we pray. Amen. Amen.